We're just so thankful for Jesus this morning. We just ask that as we go into a time where we study your word, that you would speak to us. That our hearts would be ready to receive your word so that when we leave this place, it wouldn't be fruitless. But we'd be better prepared to be ministers of your gospel. God, it's all for your glory. God, we surrender to you in this time. We just ask that you would speak through Brother John and receive the glory that you deserve. So thankful for you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, it's your grace, it's your love that we believe in. It's not our faith that saves us, it's faith in you that saves us. We're not saved by our own strength, we're saved by who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and how he died for our sin. And there's no room for pride, there's no room for arrogance, there's only room for humility as we realize what Jesus has done. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and open to uh, Mark 5, and we're going to look at the latter part of Mark 5, uh, which is starting in the 21st uh, verse. So Jesus had been over healing the demonian, uh, uh, the Gadarean demoniac, I'll get it in a minute, with, in, uh, where the demons got in the pigs and ran off and drowned themselves in the lake. The strangest thing on earth, the peep townspeople came out and saw this man who had been a terrible man. He had chains hanging off his arms and shackles on his feet. He lived in the tombs. He cried out day and night, cut himself with sharp rocks, trying to get relief from the pain he was in. And uh, he ran to Jesus. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, demons encountered Jesus, and Jesus cast them out. And the townspeople, the shepherds, saw the she, they go, all the... Uh, pigs run off in the uh, in the lake. You ask me why why pigs were in Israel at all. Well, uh, the uh, uh, Muslim religion wasn't started until 600 years after Jesus, so the Arab people still raised pigs, and so they had they had pigs, and uh, so there's a whole herd of them over there in the Gentile area, and uh, so they they uh, got rid of all of the. the the, the shepherds went in and I told what had happened or the pig keepers and they all came running out to see this miracle and they saw this man and the Bible's very descript he was clothed sitting in his sitting and in his right mind he was clothed he was sitting and he was in his right mind because what he had been doing is he was so eaten up and tormented he ran all the time, screamed all the time, hollered all the time, cut himself, and would attack. Anybody came by, they attacked. He attacked them, and he had, the Bible says he'd been chained up many times, and every time broke asunder. But he encountered Jesus, and when the townspeople came out, they found this man who had been demon possessed, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. What do you think they did? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come into town and take care of the rest of us. Nope. 
please, Jesus, get away from here. Leave. Run away. Get away. Get away. We're scared of you. <laughs> Strange. But anyway, Jesus now gets back in the boat and goes back over to the Capernaum area where he's, the bulk of his uh, earthly ministry took place. And when he got back into Capernaum, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and uh, when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and uh, he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter dies and is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that, he, that she may be healed and she may live. Now, that was a, a noble thing for them to ask Jesus. Uh, and a, a humble dad would do anything to try to save his little daughter. And so we see Jairus' faith. We're impressed with it. But to be honest, Jesus was not impressed with but one man's faith that he encountered, and that was a Roman soldier, a centurion, who said, my servant's sick, and sir, if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be well. Now, Jairus, was, was, he was of faith, but he needed to see Jesus come into his house and lay his hands on his little girl to be healed. Uh, he, he wanted to see, he, his faith was kind of a, a faith by sight. And we're told we cannot live by, faith, uh, by sight faith alone. There are times you've got to trust God even when you don't see God working. You've got to trust God. Have, but he had sight faith. Which sight faith would, how much faith did it take to, to, to get to Jesus? Uh, the faith of a mustard seed. Just a tiny faith. So sight faith works. It, it, got him, it got him what he needed. Sight faith worked good. And, uh, but Jesus told the centurion, now, I've never seen faith, faith like this, not in all of Israel. Because the centurion is over 100, uh, he, some argue that he's over 100 captains, and some, so that put him over 1,000 men. Some argue that he was over 1,000. Whatever it was, he was a big dude, uh, important man. And in, and in fact, the description was, he loveth our people and hath builded us a synagogue. I've visited that synagogue in, in Capernaum many times. And uh, so uh, this, was a, this centurion was a righteous man, a righteous man who had faith. And he said, look, I got guys work for me. And I tell him, go over there. He goes over there. I tell him, come back from over there. He comes back from over here. I know you're, you're the son of God. You have more power than I ever thought about having. All you have to say is, be healed, and my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus didn't go to the centurion's house. He just healed him by the word of faith. Now, I had, I've had faith, had faith to start a church. And I look back on it, and I wondered if that wasn't stupidity. But... Uh, I mean, we started Central North Church, which is now Christ Church, with 33 people. We rented a building between Weight Watchers and Video Magic. And uh, they, they called a utility company, 
And actually, there was a little back building back there. I don't know what had been in it, but we took it too. Had two meters, and they wanted $800 deposit for commercial meter. This was in 82. Uh, he might as well ask us for $8 million. Uh, we didn't have $800. And uh, so I just, I just, you know, if you're hearing no, you're just talking to the wrong person. So, so I just kept asking for his supervisor, her supervisor, and this and the other. And finally, a guy got on the phone. He said, Johnny. I said, yes, sir. He said, I go to Central Church. said, don't, you don't pay anything. We'll have the utilities turned on this afternoon. And uh, we, we believe you'll pay for it, or we'll turn them off again. I said, thank you very much. Turned the utilities on. And so we were in business. God started bringing people in. People got saved. Church started growing. And, uh, I mean, in the front door, when you walked in, you were in the sanctuary. Wasn't any vestibule out there. You just, you was inside. So if you came late, you was right in the middle of the song service or whatever was going on. I was very fortunate. Bud Simpson helped me start the church. And Bud, Bud would meet new people and shake their hand like a pump handle. And he put a big old grin on his face. And he, you know, and uh, he filled We started a new Sunday school class. Bud filled it up. Somebody come through the front door, he said, I've got just the place for you. He came and put them in a new Sunday school class. They didn't know the difference because nobody in there knew who they were either. And uh, so he, he would build new Sunday. I mean, it was, it was remarkable, and God did amazing things. But it wasn't until I was 71 years old that I learned to put in my mouth what God had put in my heart. And that is God's always going to do the appropriate thing at the opportune time. Every night when I go to bed, I don't care what's going on. Uh, you know, Carol recently went through a divorce and then that young man died 11 days later. And uh, she got ugly calls and from people who she didn't, she didn't support him and this type of thing. And, and that she was hurt uh, and uh, it, it was painful. And uh, to, to, to go through that and and I'm not, I'm not going to say what was going on. It was dangerous, and it didn't need to be in our home. Just that simple. But uh, anyway, I uh, went through all of that right through Christmas. And uh, just, it, just things that get you disordered, you know, just disjointed, just knocked out. Of, and every night I went to bed, Lord, I know. I don't think. I don't hope. I know. You are going to do the appropriate thing at the opportune time, period. You believe that? That's faith. That's just an unseen faith. Uh, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. I, uh, I got up yesterday morning at 7 o'clock, took a shower, and got dressed to go preach. I could have come on to the men's breakfast. But when I remembered what happened, I got undressed and got back to bed again. <laughs> I had gone to sleep at 4 that morning. <laughs> so I wasn't going to be in too good a shape whatever time I came in here. But, I mean, uh, but it doesn't matter what day, what night, whatever. I know, I know God is going to do the appropriate thing at the opportune time. I also know his answer for some issues is, no. 
no, I don't want you to have that. I, I don't want you to go in that direction. I don't need this in your life. I don't care how bad you want it. You don't need it. It will not be good for you. Well, you know how to do that. You've done it to your children. Hadn't you disappointed your children before? Broke their heart. They were all set to do something, came in and laid out these grandioso plans, and you say, nope. Well, what do you mean? No. I done this. I got you. I, got, I don't care what you got. You're not going. You're not going to do it. <clears throat> and they go upstairs. And he's quiet again for a couple of hours. <laughs> and then they come back down and start all over again. And uh, so God's the same way. God doesn't mind hurting my feelings if it's good for me. You understand? And so sometimes it's no, things don't work out. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's just not going to happen. It's wait. But you can rest assured you're a child of God. And God is always going to do the appropriate thing at the opportune time. You know who taught that to me? A Hindu. A Hindu. We were over in Israel. For the first time I visited Ron, I guess, over there. Ron needed about $2,000 to finish the building, which certainly we would have made available to him. But he needed it then, and so I went over to a cloth merchant. Uh, what's his name, Ron? Maharaj. Maharaj. Pleasant young man. He was a cloth merchant at the time, and I said, I need to borrow $2,000. That I didn't have it with me, but I, I will send it to you. He wrote a contract, white paper, blue, heavy cover for it, and most beautiful handwriting you've ever seen in your life. And the terms of the contract was, I know you'll do the appropriate thing at the opportune time. No interest, no jack, no nothing. No date, no nothing. I brought it back, gave it to Jim Yancey, he wrote a check. What, the, what Maharaj was going to do is get American money and wait for the exchange rate to get better and he would make money. But he handed me two paper sacks, a grocery sacks full of cash. Rupees are like what, 38 to one, 38 rupees to a dollar. So you're going to get a stack this thick if you change a dollar. And if you put 2,000 in it, you get two grocery sacks full. And I came back with it. Here, here Ron, whatever you can do, do. But, but uh, later on, I got to reading that contract. And I said, if that Hindu can trust me, who he never met, he knew Ron, but he'd never met me, could trust me to pay him back $2,000, how can I not trust the mighty God of the universe? And I got it, I was like 35, 36 maybe when we went over there, and I made, it was 71 years old when it finally sunk into my stupid head that God, was always going to do the appropriate thing at the opportune time. Now, that brings me right back to where we are because Jairus came and asked Jesus to go with him to his home. And Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And But now there was a certain woman 
who had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered many things from many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. That might fit some of you today. <laughs> you spend about everything you've got and you're not any better. I went to two emergency rooms in three days in Vanderbilt Hospital and got home. I was just sick as I got there. And uh, finally went over to an ENT and they got my vertigo straightened out and I've been well ever since. Five minutes, you know. And uh, they call it the practice of medicine. So anyway, uh, I, felt like, I felt like this lady. But anyway, uh, she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her own body that she'd been healed of the affliction. Now she knew. She knew, she knew, she knew Jesus had healed her. And Jesus says, uh, uh, immediately knowing himself that power uh, and had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said, well, Lord, there's like a thousand people here. And can you figure out which one touched your clothes? Jesus said again, who touched me? Now, this whole time, Jairus is standing there going, who, just hurry up. Just hurry up. Why, Jesus, why? Why are you taking so long? Why are you? What is this woman? Well, this woman according to Jewish law, was ceremonially unclean. She had this uh, menstrual period that didn't quit, just kept going for 12 years. And uh, she was exhausted. She was worn out. Uh, she was frail. But she could not go into her family's house. She could not be with her husband. She could not be with her children. She could not be, she was like a leper. She was uh, unclean, could not be touched. And if her family, her mother and daddy, or if her husband loved her enough to build her a little booth off to the side someplace, she could have a place to lay down. Most of them lived outside the gates in little makeshift uh, rags and tents and so forth where all the lepers were. So she was totally rejected by people and by society. But she heard Jesus was there, and so she kind of camouflaged herself with her robes and, and her clothes, and she knew she couldn't present herself because she would be thrown out. She would be immediately identified as an unclean woman, and they would have cast her out of the community. So she slips up to Jesus and just touches, and probably all she touched was the tassel. The Jewish men had a belt around their waist, had four corners on, had four tassels. And that's probably all she touched was just one of the loose tassels. And uh, it's been a mystery to all ministers how Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. I know when I get home today, do not call me till 6 o'clock. I will be sound asleep. And uh, 
doing this twice in one day is more than I've done in a little while. And so I will be exhausted and tired and sleepy. But I do know on many occasions, I've been in counseling sessions, uh, I've been in sessions where people were dying and trying to comfort them and trying to help them through situations. And uh, you go home and you, you just feel like you got hit by a stick. Because how in the world can you be this tired and you didn't do anything but talk? Uh, and, but you, you talk with the authority of God and you talk with the power and authority of the Holy Spirit and you're absolutely worn out. Uh, when I was last time I was over with Ron, I spoke three times a day or twice. Three times. But they did have me fresh coconut juice in between. If you've never had a, we had a little guy one time named Yanadas. He'd run up a tree like a monkey and unscrew a coconut and bring it down and take his machete and clip the top of it off. And then Ron didn't, because we don't know what his hands had been handling. Ron would take it away from him, wipe it off with a sanitary cloths, and then we would stick a straw in it. Oh, it was good. Golly, it was good. And then we would break it open and take a spoon and scoop out that fresh green coconut. Oh, it, if you hadn't done it, you've missed a treat of a lifetime. Mr. That, if you're at, at, a, at a Mexican resort and ask for that, be careful. They'll bring it to you full of vodka. That was a mistake. <laughs> I learned right away that was not what I wanted. <laughs> but but any, anyway, I said, no, 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 no. Take this one back, and I want a fresh coconut, no alcohol. And <laughs> so, but uh, uh, it was absolutely uh, wonderful. But when I got home after three services, Ron had called and ordered our lunch. And at the hotel, we had lunch. And I went upstairs and slept till 7 o'clock that night. Would get up and go down. Ron and I would meet for dinner. And... Uh, Time to go to bed and start all over again the next day, and uh, so it was. A, and it was a beautiful opportunity because I was preaching to the seminary students who were fixing to graduate and go out of there. And uh, I absolutely it was two of us: my interpreter, uh, Dr. Peter, and myself. And I think both of us were absolutely dead exhausted, because you got to say a complete thought and stop. Dr. Peter got to say, I guess he said what I said, and uh, <laughs> if he didn't, he preached a real good sermon anyway, and uh, then uh, I'd have to, while he was talking, I'd have to be making sure I was ready, and then I'd say something, we just went back and forth, back and forth, so a sermon of 30 minutes took an hour, I know y'all appreciate that, but anyway, it just kept going on and on and on, and uh, it absolutely exhausts you. Because you put everything you've got into allowing God to speak to those people who you'll never have a chance to speak to again. Okay? And uh, we spoke Sunday morning in a church. And uh, 11 people on the back raised their hands to trust and believe in Christ. It's a remarkable, remarkable opportunity. But it is exhausting. So I'm assuming that Jesus 
just felt went out from him. He turned around to the lady. He talked to the lady. And the lady, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I sneaked in here. I've had this issue of blood. I'm an outcast from the community. Uh, and uh, I've, I've stolen a blessing. You can't steal a blessing. Jesus knew it happened. But that's what she was trying to do. She was trying to sneak up behind Jesus and steal a blessing. And uh, couldn't happen. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She snuck in. She fell before him, fearing and trembling. And Jesus said, uh-uh, you're well. Stand up. Go home. You're well. I'm telling you, there's some folks in here today that would, you know, if you got a chance, you'd sneak into Jesus and try to get a blessing. You'd just sneak up on him and see if you could get something. But the truth is, he knows you. He knows me. He knows the truth already. And the only way you get what you want is you just have faith in Jesus and Jesus saves. Jesus changes lives and Jesus makes a difference. So now, I don't know how long this took, but you know, uh, poor old Jairus is standing over one foot to the next and just scratching and itching and all upset that it's taking forever for Jesus to get that down there to his house. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's synagogue's house uh, who, who said, your daughter's dead. You don't have to trouble the teacher any further. Boy, Satan, Satan had his messenger right on the spot. If he could discourage you in any way from believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, he would do that. He would immediately do that. And so uh, she's dead. There's no use. Give up. Don't worry about it. And uh, uh, then uh, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm the one that gave life. I can bring life back. So I haven't gone anywhere. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him but Peter, James, and John, uh, the brother of James. Somebody asked why they got to go. Someone suggested they were the roughest of the three. He had to keep an eye on them. I, I don't know. But they, maybe they were probably the most eager to understand what was going on, and they came with him. And uh, so uh, he, uh, he let them go. And in verse 38, when he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly, now, even the poorest family was expected at the time of death to have at least one wailer, one professional mourner, and one musician to play sad songs. And so the musician was playing, uh, musician was playing sad songs, and the mourner was mourning and wailing. And uh, that somehow or another was supposed to impress somebody that the family was really grieved. And, uh, but uh, this man, Jarius, 
who was the ruler of the synagogue, had a multitude of people out there mourning and playing instruments and, and doing all this. And now you walk up on that scene alone, it's enough to take away your faith. I mean, when all these people obviously have seen the dead and know that she's dead, they've heard the story, they're wailing and they're moaning and playing their sad songs, you know good and well that that could be very discouraging. And uh, then, then he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw this turmoil, and he came in and said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Even at the funeral home, that's still true. You're not dead. You're only sleeping. I tell people now when I do funerals, I don't do funerals anymore. We're not celebrating death. We're celebrating the resurrection. This is a story about the Christian who, and, and I use the phrase sleeping, Jesus used the term. And in fact, cemeteries were named after roadside motels because the early church figured if they sleeping, they didn't need a permanent burial spot. They just needed to rent a little spot till Jesus came back. And even in Israel, I mean in Greece today, graves are still rented. They don't have a lot of ground. It's an old country. They don't have a lot of ground. And uh, so if you've been in the grave 50 years, they're going to dig you up and put you in a cardboard box and set you in refrigeration, and that grave is used again. And if you want to see your third uncle, Tanus, you uh, have to go to the room, and they'll drag his little box out and set it on the table, and you can visit with him a while, and then they'll put him back up on the shelf again. And the reason I know that is in the funeral business there for a little while, and the guy came in and said, you're going to have to pay $1,200 for a grave and $1,200 have it open and closed. Pay for it. Buy it. What are you talking about? He said, in our country, we rent them. <laughs> I thought that was strange. But it came from the idea that if they're only asleep, they're not going to need it forever. Okay? And so we bury today, Christian burial, is based on the resurrection. A body is washed, a body is, even if it's cremated, it's prepared, and it's prepared for what? To be buried uh, among the sleeping because the re Jesus is coming and he's going to resurrect the Christian dead. And so that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection. And so why are you making all this commotion? And uh, they ridiculed him, <laughs> you know, that he had said something stupid like she's not dead, she's asleep. Well, how many times have we seen dead people? And so anyway, but when he had, had, uh, had put them all out, he took the father, the mother, and the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, John, and entered where the child was laying. And he took the little child by the hand and said to her, Talabathakum, uh, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the little girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement that he had commanded them strictly that they should uh, know it, but they shouldn't make it known or give it, give it away. He didn't want to get into the 
He didn't want to get into the healing business. He was soul healing. He wasn't body healing. He was soul healing. And that's why he didn't want to turn it into a spectacular show. So the Bible says that we who are without Christ are living already dead. We're dead in our set trespasses and our sins. There are three deaths. There's a death while you're breathing. It's a spiritual death. There's a death after you die where you're in the grave. And the third death is if you miss Jesus, you go to hell. Okay? So Jesus came to fix all three of them. When you believe in him while you're yet alive, you go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. If you have believed in him while you were spiritually alive, while you were alive, you have no fear of death because one day there'll be a general resurrection. We'll all live again. But have you not trusted in Christ when you were alive? You have suffered not only the third, the first death, spiritual death. You suffer physical death forever, and you'll be in torment forever. Jesus saves Jesus saves and uh, he heals he restores and he loves you right this minute Jesus loves you he loved you so much he went to the cross I talked about it in Sunday school we don't understand the cross was so brutal that it's impossible it's just sickening to talk about it where the spikes were driven the spikes driven in his feet and he would have probably lasted four days except for the beating and the sword that he stuck in his side. The Romans wanted it to be excruciatingly painful, and they wanted it to be on a public road, and they wanted everybody to see what would happen if you crossed the Roman authority. Jesus took that punishment. All our sins were put on him, and he died for us. That invitation is to you today. May be in the sense you just need to renew your spirit and commitment to Christ, or it may be that you need to truly believe and trust Christ for the first time in your life. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Cameron and the guys, the girls, guys, to come back up and get things going here. I'm going to try to get off the platform without falling, and uh, we're going to ask the Lord Jesus to give us a movement of his spirit this morning.